Hi everyone, this is Tracy Fenton, founder of World Blue and the World Blue Academy, and welcome to the Freedom at Work podcast. I'm here to teach you how to think with a freedom-centered mindset, thrive as a freedom-centered leader, and finally, how to build a freedom-centered culture for your team or workplace. This podcast is about answering one key question. How can you, as a leader, use freedom rather than fear to unleash the full potential of individuals, teams, and organizations in order to achieve breakthrough results and change the world for the better? If you want to explore the answers, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Great to be with you. Today, we're exploring freedom at work within a small but very dynamic company that leaders travel to from all over the world to visit and that I've also had the privilege of visiting. With me today is Rich Sheridan, CEO and co-founder of Menlo Innovations, a custom software design and development firm based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and a World Blue certified Freedom Center workplace for nine years in a row. Rich is also the author of two outstanding books. The first one is called Joy, Inc., How We Built a Workplace People Love. And the second book just came out, sitting here, right here on my desk. It's called Chief Joy Officer, How Great Leaders Elevate Human Energy and Eliminate Fear. I highly recommend that you check out both of these books. Menlo and Rich have been featured on the cover of Inc. Magazine, Entrepreneur, Forbes, and New York Magazine, and Rich speaks all over the world about how he has built a joyful workplace at Menlo Innovations. Rich and I have known each other for over a decade, and it's an honor and joy to have you on this show, Rich. Thanks for being with me. Likewise, Tracy. I'm so glad we could connect over these important subjects. So important. And I know our listeners are so eager to hear your story. So tell us, what does it mean to be a chief joy officer? Yeah, and this isn't the title. You don't build a new office. You don't go hire a CJO and put them on the executive team. This is certainly more a state of mind. And this kind of joyful leadership can happen anywhere within the organization. You will probably have someone on your team who runs faster and stronger with this kind of theme, but this certainly isn't meant to be placed in a single individual. The idea, though, is as leaders, as a group of leaders within an organization, how can we focus on keeping our human energy high and our fear at bay? I love that. And it does elevate us, right? When we think about what joy is, and it does help take away that fear. And of course, our show is all about talking about freedom rather than fear in the workplace. So what do you think is that relationship between joy and freedom at work? Yeah, if you think about why any of us chose our professions, chose the jobs we chose, there was an idealistic moment somewhere along the way that we chose a profession and we chose the job in that profession because it allowed us to express something that was built in, something we were passionate about, something we were concerned about, some kind of change we wanted to make in the world. And if we are kept in a box, locked down, uh, weighted down by bureaucracy, uh, hemmed in by fear, eventually we let go of that. We let go of that spirit and energy, and then it just becomes a job, and we just come into work every day. Our job is as leaders is to unleash the human energy of, our, of the members of our team 
so that they can, with freedom, pursue that thing they are so wired to be passionate about and so naturally talented to bring to the world. I love that. You know, it's hard to think, okay, I'm going to feel joyous in a fear-based environment, right? (laughs) You can only feel that joy in an environment of freedom. And why is it, Rich, that you use the word joy instead of happiness or something else like that? Why joy? Yeah, for me, the word joy, and it was built into our mission statement so many years ago, we wanted to return joy to technology. Mm. And when I think about happiness, and I, you know, I, I, you and I share a great friend in Alexander Chiropin, who is the world-anointed chief happiness officer. Absolutely. And there is no question that happiness is important and should be present in any organization. And I think if it isn't, you're going to have trouble. And Alexander speaks to that so eloquently. What I chose to do, though, was focus beyond happiness on a much longer arc that says, when we work together, when the work of our hearts, our hands, and our minds, it might be years in the making, gets out into the world and delights the people we intend to serve, there is joy in that moment, even if there wasn't happiness every step along the way, because Mm. I think it's impossible to be happy every minute of every day. But that deep, abiding sense of purposeful delivery on behalf of those we serve is where our joy truly comes from as human beings. Absolutely. It really, really does. And it's so worthwhile to honor that both happiness and joy and how those work together to create these environments of freedom. So I want to dig deeper now into the absolute incredible example that you have built for the world with Menlo Innovations. And As you know, Rich, we teach at the World Blue Academy the Freedom at Work model. And the Freedom at Work model has three parts to it, mindset, leadership, and design. And by practicing all of these things, a freedom-centered mindset, freedom-centered leadership, and freedom-centered organizational design, that's how we build these world-class, high-performing, freedom-centered cultures. I want to take each part of the model and talk with you about it, starting with starting with mindset. And you and I have talked through the years about the phenomenal sort of moment where I think your mindset shifted from the old way of doing business to the new, more freedom-centered, more joyful way of approaching building a company. And it involved, it involved your daughter. And I'd love for you to tell our listeners that story, if you would. Yeah, I think for me, I I put this under the general heading of the wisdom of an eight-year-old. In 1997, I had just been promoted to vice president of R&D at a public firm here in Ann Arbor called Interface Systems. And I think up to that point, I'd been climbing the career ladder for a while. I had imprinted on all the bosses I'd ever worked for and used many of the methods that I had been brought up under. Uh, which uh, you and I would probably now put fully in the fear-based category of uh, (laughs) motivational leadership. And I was pretty good at it. Nice enough guy, but boy, could I get people's blood pressure up if I needed to. And my team might tell me every once in a while, I probably still can. (laughs) And so this was a, a time where here in Ann Arbor, there was a program, maybe it's elsewhere in the country as well, called Take Your Daughter to Work Day. And it was really uh, meant. And eventually, I think they renamed it Take Your Child to Work Day. 
But in those early days, it was about taking young women into the workforce so they could maybe be inspired to pursue some kind of career choices that that were non-traditional for uh, women back in those days. And so I took Sarah into work with me to watch a VP work all day long. Mm-hmm. And I have to admit, uh, you know, what, <laughs> what could be more boring, right? <laughs> Sitting in an office at my task table, watching me answer phone calls, emails, take meetings and all that kind of stuff. And so she wisely packed up a, a backpack full of stickers and coloring books and crayons and that sort of thing and sat at my task table while, while I worked all day. And at the end of the day, as I was packing up my briefcase and she was packing up her backpack, I thought, well, I better, I better ask her, you know, because her teacher will want to know too. I said, so Sarah, how was your day? What did you learn today? Well, let me tell you. She looked at me and she says, wow, dad, what I learned today is you're really important. And I thought, huh, what could she have possibly seen that would have caused her to make that conclusion? So I sat down across from my precocious eight-year-old. And I said, so tell me what you saw, Sarah. She said, well, what I saw, Dad, was nobody here can make a decision without asking you first. Mm. And of course, she was very proud. I was instantly mortified Mm. because I realized in that moment, contrary to my desires, I had built an organization that couldn't move faster than me. Mm. And as long as I worked more hours, put in more overtime, perhaps came in on the weekends, make sure I was keeping up on stuff when I was home, maybe my team could move faster, but only if I did. Mm-hmm. That's not what I wanted. Sarah was still young. Her two older sisters were not much older than her. And I didn't want to wake up 10 years hence and have missed the best parts of their lives. Mm-hmm. So that was my first clanging symbol that says, there's got to be a better way to do this. You've got to unleash the talent inside of your organization, and it can't all be about you. Right. And it seems like that was a real aha moment of that shift from the command and control traditional way we run our organizations to going, wait a second, there may be something more. There may yeah. be a different way here. And I didn't know what I was going to do in that moment, but I knew, as you would use the term, I needed to go through that mindset shift. And that was the moment where it began. And how soon after that did you leave your job and go start Menlo? Uh, it took about another four years. But in the intervening time, the catalytic moment occurred two years later when I transformed that tired old public company to something that looks like Menlo to this day. And I got two years to run it inside of the public company before the internet bubble burst, the NASDAQ crashed, and suddenly I was out of work. So I've done this twice. What we've accomplished at Menlo, I accomplished inside of that tired old public company as well. And so uh, that's my statement to the world that says, I'm not going to let you off the hook. You don't have to go start a new company in order to achieve what I've achieved or get anywhere close to it or achieve your dreams inside of your head for what you want to do. You can do it right where you are. It really does start with that mindset shift and look how you were able to do it within this tired old company (laughs) because you were willing to put the ego aside, right? And see that bigger picture and see about how can create an environment of freedom and joy and possibility, unleashing the potential of every single person rather than clamping down on it and locking, locking it up. Now, I want to fast forward to Menlo in the current day and... 
talk a little bit more about from this mindset angle. You know, we talk a lot at World Blue about how so often we are working in a mindset of fear and often we don't even realize it. And all of the brain research tells us that when we're in a state of fear, we get tunnel vision, the peripheries of our brain shut down. We can only see one point of view. And one of the things that we talk a lot about with leaders is how to just notice how much fear is driving your decisions, which tend to be not as good of decisions, and how to then take that awareness as a leader and help those around you work through the fear, right? So that you can make better decisions together. And when we're running companies, we're constantly dealing with fear in our own thinking and the fear of those around us. And so now fast forwarding to Menlo Innovations, current day, time frame. I know you had a situation that came up recently where there was a lot of fear and you had to work through it as a company. Tell us about that. How do you handle that fear? And I want to distinguish for your listeners between what I think are two very important kinds of fear inside of a a human organization of any type, particularly a business. And that is that there are certain things we should, in fact, be afraid of. Those are the things like, as people, we don't walk out into the street without looking both ways for fear. Of course. There are very healthy fears, and there are certainly healthy fears within a business. We shouldn't ignore customers. We shouldn't uh, lose our market position. We shouldn't, uh, you know, run out of cash. All those things are very important. As bosses, managers, and leaders, what we shouldn't though do is lean on this uh, crutch, if you will, of using artificial fear to motivate. And that can take a lot of subtle cues, you know, where (sighs) if I breathe like this at a meeting while everybody's sitting around me, they're all going to go out of that room wondering, what did Rich mean by that, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Watch him raise his eyebrow. Did you see him grab his forehead? Uh, you know, if those are all the acting things I do to try and motivate my team, we're not going to get anywhere. And they're going to wait for me to make the decision because they're like, well, Rich clearly has the big idea. We just have to wait for him to come up with it. And so the question is, how do we keep our team focused on the big goals, the, the, the externally focused goals that we're working on, even while working through the fear? And over the last couple of years here at Menlo, we've, it's been an interesting last couple of years. We went through a slow period, scary slow. We do open book management, which I know uh, is one of your strong tenets is to share the numbers uh, with the team and have them participate in running the business, which is absolutely what we do here. And during that time, the team was seeing the numbers and they they didn't look pretty. And they were all afraid and they didn't like it. And I'll be honest, I was too. I have to be a different kind of leader in that moment. I still have to pull in my source of optimism and energy to tell people, yep, it's tough, but we will get through it and we will get through it together. And we started a project during that time we called Liberty. And Liberty was really about getting much more serious about following up and maintaining our sales conversations, following up quickly, making sure we're keeping everything in order so nothing falls through the cracks so that we could close more deals faster. And the team, despite all the fear, became very energized about this because they now they see, and I think this is really important from a leadership perspective, 
Now they can act. It isn't just thinking in their heads, oh my gosh, I hope somebody's going to take care of this. What's going to happen next? Will I keep my job? Now they're like, I can be part of the solution. I can actually help. And I literally just walked from the latest rendition of the Liberty team meeting to uh, this podcast. And we had it through lunch. And I was looking around the room, seeing who came into this. It's not the whole company that comes in. It's the people who are actually interested. But we had somebody in there who's literally interviewing with us right now. Who's <laughs> participating in this. People have only been here a few weeks, a few months. And then, of course, a lot of us who've been here most of the history of the company, steadily walking through every particular opportunity, talking about how we learned about them, what's next, what's the next action steps. And now they feel this spirit and energy around action. We can work on this together. And and new ideas are flowing in about how to approach a customer, how to close a deal, how to think about how we get more deals and that sort of thing. And it worked. It worked remarkably well and it worked faster than I think anybody else thought it would. And it actually bore out the next project in the sequence as Ari Weinswag, our friend who runs Zingerman, says uh, in his Natural Laws of Business, Natural Law of Business number eight is success, which is what we were having now with Liberty. Success means you get better problems. And boy, <laughs> did, and boy did we have them. We had the natural problem that would occur in a business like ours when our sales was succeeding. We needed more people, which is a great problem to have for about five minutes. And then it just feels like a regular problem. And so we used the same structure for the Liberty Project, and we created a new project called Freedom. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd love that one. Good title. Uh, exactly. And, uh, and Freedom was applying the same systematic efforts to recruiting, to interviewing, to onboarding, and to doing all of the HR things we need to do, because we don't actually have an official HR department here. And so now the team, again, action-oriented. They started thinking about who could we bring in? Who should we be reaching out to? Which career fair should we go to? How do we talk about Menlo out to the community? How do we make sure that all of our public tours that people are coming on, people are aware that, hey, if you know somebody who's interested in working for us, they should apply. And so that's working incredibly well. And we've practically, we're almost on track to, from our scariest days to today, almost doubling the size of our team. And I love it. it has been just terrific. And I'd be happy to tell you about the next two projects if, uh, if we have time. It sounds like what you're saying is the way you all handled the fear was instead of clamping down, instead of tightening up, instead of instead of going into full command mode, right? You gave power to the people. You gave power to your people to act and take action. And they did. And that created a momentum that really lifted you guys forward. Is that right? Absolutely. And imagine how relieving it is for a team member who maybe has been through this in a previous life, right? At another yeah. company, when they, they started hearing the dark clouds of fear rolling in from the executive corridor saying, revenues are dropping, profits are slim, we might have to think about cutting back. But you're powerless. Mm-hmm. You, you were just carried along down that river and you just hope it gets better or you hope you're not one of the people who gets let go in the process. We took exactly the opposite approach. 
We pulled the team into the situation, shared with them exactly what was going on, set up some simple structures, and invited anyone who was willing to participate, who was excited about helping us solve this problem, to participate, to take action. And now they aren't walking out the door saying, what can I do? Now they're walking out the door saying, what should I do? Absolutely. Because when you're in fear, you don't feel powerful. <laughs> you know, it's easy to feel, feel powerless. And what I love in what you're saying is you helped create a collective mindset shift that got everyone thinking and everyone acting and everyone going, what can we do? And now look at what's happening from that, that ripple effect that's lifting you guys to that next level of growth. And that really is the power of leadership and the power of that mindset shift that can happen. And it's, it really does start at the top. And, and so I want to use that, Rich, to take us into the next part of the Freedom at Work model, which is leadership. And we teach this concept of freedom-centered leadership and that, that there's three core attributes of a freedom-centered leader. A freedom-centered leader knows how to be in their power in the right way, which means they don't lead from fear. They lead from freedom and possibility. They have a sense of high self-worth, and they live their own butu, which is another word for self-knowledge and understanding oneself. Now, I want to focus at Menlo. I mean, you talk about this in your new book, but this idea of bosses versus leaders. And I know people love coming to Menlo and looking at how you have a, a bossless you know, structure there at Menlo and some people that freaks them out and other people love it. So tell us, what does that mean at Menlo? Bosses versus leaders or being bossless doesn't necessarily mean leaderless. So tell us more about that. Yeah, and I want to be very clear, especially if there's bosses listening, <laughs> that uh, there is nothing inherently bad about being a boss. And we've probably all had great bosses, good bosses, and quite frankly, probably some bad bosses along the way. And the same can be said for leaders. Yep. There are, there are certainly bad leaders out there who uh, foster and foment turmoil and are seen as leaders because they've, they've gathered a clique behind them that, uh, you know, that whispers in the corner. And so we have to be very careful not to conclude bosses are bad and leaders are good because exactly uh, the opposite can be true of either one of those categories. But we just didn't find the need to build the hierarchy because our choice was to focus on strong leadership as opposed to strong hierarchical structure. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about the difference between bosses and leaders, uh, we talk about the fact that leaders don't have that trump card that most bosses do, which is, well, you have to do this because I told you to. Yeah. Leaders actually have to influence behavior. They have to get people to follow out of their natural heart and will rather than simply because I told you so. And so it's a, it's a more difficult route because you've got to work harder to, to get it working. But once it's working, the speed with which you can operate and the fact that leadership can be occurring at all levels from anywhere, it isn't like there's a, a cadre of leaders and everybody else are followers. Everybody can lead in their own way from anywhere. Uh, we've even got some very new people here who are already spreading their leadership wings in their way around particular areas. We, we've got one young lady, Elle, who's joined us, and her leadership role here is to simply keep the place organized and tidy. And so 
uh, we have a lot of visitors come in and, and we have classes and, and we can be a kind of a messy place. And while we don't want that all to fall on Elle's shoulders, when she walks in the room, she says, this is my place. Mm-hmm. I might have to assemble a lot of people around me to make sure everything's cleaned up and organized and the chairs are in the right place and straightened and all the stuff is put away and food is ordered for an event and put away at the end and all that sort of thing. It's not that all the work gets done in her, but she has the leadership position to say, I am going to take pride in the way this place looks. I will organize all the efforts around this. And it's funny, she just told me the other day, she says, you know, I've done this kind of work for other organizations. I have never felt valued in those other places like I do here. Oh, I love it. And, and that's just it. When you're creating a company of not bosses and order takers, but where everyone can be a leader, that's, there's that sense of ownership that people feel. And like you said, that sense of pride. And that's what it's about, that everyone should be able to feel that way. Yeah, I mean, there's a great quote on this. It says, all anyone asks for is a chance to work with pride. Mm, that is so true. And Who said think that? About, uh, w. Edwards Deming. I love that. And that's true. We all just want to feel that sense of pride in our work, that sense of dignity, right? That sense of being seen for what we each have to bring and offer. This podcast episode continues in part two. Thanks everyone for tuning in to today's show on Freedom at Work. If you like what you heard and you're interested in finding out if you're a fit to work with World Blue, here's what I invite you to do next. Head on over to worldblue.com slash call. That's world and then blue without an E, B-L-U, and book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and explore how to help you develop a freedom-centered mindset, thrive as a freedom-centered leader, or build a freedom-centered workplace culture. Remember, living, leading, and working in freedom rather than fear in order to unleash your full potential does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We have over 20 years of experience working all over the world with top leaders and brands from small businesses to Fortune 500 companies, helping them achieve results with our proven methods and courses. To see if we can help you do the same, head on over to worldblue.com slash call and book a call with our team now. I'm Tracy Fenton, and I can't wait to connect with you soon.